tonight on a new planet, Tegan meets a strange humanoid who demands to experience the outside world through her body. That's an approach which would certainly get him tossed out of an Earth singles bar. Meanwhile, the Doctor and Adric are captured by a band of alien explorers, which includes a fellow named Hindle, who doesn't have both oars in the water. See it all, right here on WTTW Chicago, as we bring you Kinda. You're listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, broadcast in late July 2020, after a brief hiatus. Today, we talk about a convention program that changed history for Doctor Who in America. And today's selected collectible includes Patrick Troughton in his most amazing role as a plastic model. We also talk about the most outrageous offer, which is not very cricket. That and collection protection coming up. And now, here's Fraser Hines. Welcome back to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, the podcast that explores the world of Doctor Who collecting, Doctor Who collectors, protection of your collection, and other Doctor Who merchandise, as well as related items. After a brief hiatus, I am happy to present the 27th episode. I am Larry Van Mersbergen, your host, and I have been a Doctor Who collector since 1981. In 1984, I opened a shop called Bundles from Britain, which was one of the first Doctor Who-only stores in Chicago, and we are mentioned in a wonderful book. The book is called Red, White, and Who, The Story of Doctor Who in America. You can find a link to purchase this book on Amazon on the front page of our website at DoctorWhoCollectors.com. It is by ATB Publishing, and Bundles from Britain is mentioned on page 384. Our theme song is Who's Doctor Who, composed by Barry Mason and Les Reed, performed by Fraser Hines, who played Jamie McCrimmon in 117 Doctor Who episodes, the longest-running character and a good friend of the podcast. Thank you all for being patrons of the podcast. You can find us also uh, to support us on Podbean at DoctorWhoCollectors.Podbean.com. You can also shop for your favorite Doctor Who items in our eBay store. You can find it at bit.ly backslash DWC podcast. That's bit.ly backslash DWC podcast. You can hear this podcast on anywhere you get your podcasts, including Podbean. We are a proud member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance, and you can find many great Doctor Who podcasts at DoctorWhoPodcastAlliance.org. I want to talk about two other podcasts. Uh, First, we have the Police Box in a Junkyard podcast, where a random Doctor Who story will be discussed. And I was very proud to be a guest on the premiere episode, where we talked about the Sunmakers. It is hosted by my good friend Eric Gulbrinson. Secondly, we have, of course, our good friends at the Target Book Club podcast, who are really firing up the episodes lately. Just getting to the end of the John Pertwee era of Doctor Who, where they do a thorough discussion of the Target books in story order. 
which is always interesting because they were definitely not written in story order. On today's program, we have Collection Protection, our featured story, our featured collectible, the most outrageous offer, and a few more. But first, I want to follow up on the previous podcast, The Ultimate Collectible. I spoke about Philip Morris and how he said, quote, there were six missing episodes in Australia. Well, I ran into Mr. Morris on Facebook in a group, and I have an update uh, from Mr. For- Morris, and he said this in a, in a Facebook post, and this is, quote, Just to be clear, there are no missing episodes or lost episodes. That's political correctness gone mad. Original videotapes were wiped. When rights expired and sales dried up, film copies and negatives were thrown into skips and sent to landfill of no further value, junked. Film collectors rescued some films from skips, landfill, and the property is theirs. Do not vilify these people who cared enough to rescue material without whom you have no hope. That was said by Philip Morris on June 23rd, 2020. Uh, this was not in response to the podcast. This was on the Missing Episodes Facebook page, which I encourage you to follow. Um, I shared our podcast with that group. I asked Mr. Morris for clarification, and he told me directly that I stand by this and my original statement. Which begs the question... How many more films were rescued from Skip's landfill? Any negatives? Could all the Doctor Who episodes be out there? We will never know. Some say likely, but you never know, of course. Um, Are there, you know, according to him, and originally there were six episodes that were not shared with the public yet, and maybe one day they will. Um, But, of course, to stir up controversy is part of the, uh, (laughs) comes with the job, I guess. Um... I am hopeful that Doctor Who episodes will continue to be found, and even more so that they be animated. More after the break. I would like to invite you to take a trip across all of time and space. Join us in the police box as we discuss the worlds of Doctor Who in a completely random order. We discuss it all. TV stories, audio adventures, novels, nonfiction books, and on and on. I'm your host, Eric Branson. I would be very happy if you'd join me for the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud partner of the Video Junkyard podcast and can be found on most major podcast platforms including SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Spotify. You are listening to the Doctor Who Collectors podcast. Hello fellow time travelers, I'm Tony Witt with the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the podcast in which we undertake the insert adjective here task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. I'm joined by... Dalton Hughes. And by... Alison Fitzsafry. And we record our episodes twice a month. You're listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Enjoy your travels. There is no plot! I am being completely honest with you. And now the main story. Did you ever think that a specific item you acquired would lead to bigger and better things? I had to think about the story, uh, my story in particular, about how I started Bundles from Britain back in 85, and I took that portable shop, so to speak. It didn't have bricks and mortar. But I went to different fan clubs around the Chicago area to try to find an audience or customer base, basically. And so 
uh, I've discovered in my collection something that actually led to that being a success, and I wanted to share that. Um, and I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, something in your collection that, of course, you're turning over for profit, but an item, I, I never really considered this to be a collectible, but it led to great success and a place in Doctor Who history. So I, I kind of value it now as, as far as an, an item value, it, it holds a, maybe a maximum value of 15 to $20. But I'm talking about convention programs and not all convention programs. I'm going to focus on one in particular, but I will devote some time in future episodes to other collectible convention programs because there were quite a few made. Um, there have been over 440 Doctor Who conventions in the United States since 1979, and they continue to this very day, which brings me to my next point that I usually talk about the Chicago TARDIS Doctor Who convention that's coming up in November, and we just got word that the convention will be virtual. If you're listening in the future, we're in 2020 and we're still under the coronavirus pandemic. The uh, venue at the Westin in Lombard has put restrictions on events, and so this might be an interesting way to, to connect to the convention in a virtual manner. Uh, more information at chicagodartus.com. Um, I am hopeful to present my collecting panel from the Who Room, so which means I'll be able to share more things and talk about more things that, that I can bring to the hotel. Um, and back to programs. Uh, of course, you get a wonderful program every year with Chicago TARDIS, so this year there might not be one. So that'll be interesting. Uh, some of the programs have wonderfully designed artwork that was commissioned specifically for that convention. Some conventions were wonderfully run and others were a complete disaster. Um, I've, I've actually had the honor of being an attendee, a dealer, and a speaker at various Doctor Who conventions since 1983. So I want to talk about a specific convention that was held from August 12th to 14th, 1983 at the Ramada Inn in Des Plaines, Illinois. It was presented by the Chicago Comic-Con as the American Doctor Who 20th anniversary celebration. I had just started collecting Doctor Who in 81. I had been watching the program since 1975. And here was the chance to meet the new doctor uh, at the time, Peter Davison, not far from my home. Uh, I grew up very close to Des Plaines, Illinois. Um, why was this important? Well, it was, you know, very exciting to meet Peter Davison. Uh, his episodes had just started showing in April of that year. So it was not long. Also appearing at this convention was Janet Fielding, played Tegan, the late Ian Martyr, who played Harry Sullivan, and the late John Nathan Turner, the producer of Doctor Who at that time. Um, we did get to see previews of episodes from season 20, and I remember specifically seeing Ark of Infinity and The King's Demons. Um, the convention was fun, very exciting to see. The highlight um, was visiting a dealer's room for the first time and seeing many comic book dealers who had a small amount of Doctor Who merchandise. The largest dealer in the room, of course, was Larry's Comic Book Store, owned by Larry Charette. Um, he had by far the most Doctor Who, but he still mostly had comic books. Of course, Chicago Comic Con was run by Mr. Charette, who I hold in the highest regard. It was about a year after this convention that I had this epiphany so far, you know, about 84, late Late summer, early fall of 84, I'm thinking, when I wanted to open a Doctor Who store, I was very excited. And I wanted to see what I could do for the Chicago fans. I was getting merchandise sent to me from England. I had established several pen pals in Great Britain who were okay with, you know, going to the local bookshops and 
finding used target books and annuals and other things and and then I would pay them and they would send it over to me. It usually would take a week or two to get to me, but they always came in great shape and I always kept in touch with those folks cuz they were what kept this going. Um you know, I had a pretty good sizable inventory of books, annuals, magazines, uh, some toys and some things, uh, but not a proper business by any sense. Um, one of the problems was I was 15 years old. You've not heard the I've repeated the story a few times, but I couldn't drive. I had very little money. Uh, my mother, God rest her soul, was very supportive. Um, so I was going through items and I went to the, this, this, the program here from the 1983 convention and I forgot that it had a directory of local Doctor Who fan clubs, including contact information. So I thought, well, I can contact the clubs and see if they'll let me set up a table and share the proceeds with the club or join the club or whatever they wanted me to do. So um, so I went to the uh, I'm going to go back to the uh, um, to it to the uh, program itself here. Uh, the first group I contacted was the unit irregulars. And that was set up by Kathy Sedaz uh, and Jeffrey Wade. I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Um, and they're in Worth, Illinois. Um, Adam uh, was the founder, I remember. And he, there were about 50 people in this club. So I, I didn't quite get out to Worth. Uh, I wasn't allowed to drive that far. <laughs> um, there was also the Gallifrey Club in uh, Blue Island. Um, and then the Whoites, of course, uh, Synthony Guido of the Whoites, uh, they were also very um, visible on our local PBS station as the ones answering the phones during Pledge Week during Doctor Who. I did that a few times myself. That was a lot of fun. Uh, the Guardians of Time in Berwyn. Uh, the Emissaries of the White Guardian. I went to a couple of those meetings. Uh, that club didn't last very long, but I did get to see some rare Doctor Who episodes there. Um, then there was the Celestial Intervention Agency, uh, which uh, was kind of an interesting. It said, uh, call a number between seven and nine and ask for Rose. Uh, <laughs> so it was a $5 membership fee. And I remember, I think, I think this club met in Oak Park, and I did go to that um, to that one of their meetings, and it was a very impressive uh, um, display there that I had. The Eyes of Harmony were in North Lake, um, covered Franklin Park and all that, um, and the Time Lord Academy in Mount Prospect. They were great, but the one that I will call pay dirt was the Many Companions of Doctor Who, located in Chicago, uh, run by Matthias C. Sturm. Um, I went to the first meeting. I set up a table. And I basically did the best business I could ever imagine. And so I, I joined the Many Companions. I became companion number 117 on December the 8th, 1984. I'm looking at my certificate of membership, which was hand-drawn. Um, the artwork by the late um, Bill Eubanks, uh, who was a member of the club as well. It's signed by Hector Hamstra, who was the president at the time. The Lord President was Matthias C. Sturm, and I had a lifetime membership. So I'm still technically a member. Um, anyway, the first, uh, we met at a, at a park uh, shelter at Kelvin Park in Chicago. And I'll never forget my first customer was a man that we called Cowboy, affectionately. Uh, and my second customer is where it all took a turn because my second customer was a man by the name of Gene Smith. And anybody out there in the Chicago Who world knows who he is. Um, he was my customer. He became my partner. 
Uh, we did a number of conventions for quite a while, and uh, it it worked out. <laughs> Bundles from Britain became a success. Um, of course, Gene Smith owns and operates Alien Entertainment in Lombard right now, and he is the showrunner for Chicago TARDIS. So what a, what an amazing thing this little program did for me. So you can see by my persistence in getting connected, uh, it led to uh, that historic meeting and a place in Doctor Who history mentioned in that book. And I kind of wonder if anything would have happened if that didn't happen. So uh, it's a timey-wimey kind of thing. Um, but events happened in that order, and, and a lot of things came out of it. Um, it's very valuable to me, even though it's not worth a lot of money. Um, it's It connected me with other like-minded fans in my own community. I'm still friends with many of them today. Some have passed on. Um, but it was a shared love of Doctor Who. And all of these clubs, by the way, are mentioned in that book, Red, White, and Who. I can't inst- stress enough how important that book is. Uh, I can't wait for the second edition, and I hope that more of this story can be told. Um, So do you have any collectibles that led to major decisions or major things that you did with your life or any connections? Um, Give us an email at doctorwhocollectorspodcast at gmail.com. Put collectible story in the subject line so I don't miss it. I would love to share these. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't get any... uh, posts back from uh, folks on the Doctor Who Collectors Club Facebook page, but that's another great place to post your questions and to follow other great collectors out there. Sad, Red, isn't it? People spend all that time making nice things and other people come along and break them. Collection protection. How do you collect, uh, basically protect, those convention programs? I mean, they vary in size from, you know, like a like a six by nine, almost like a like a church bulletin type of cover, or they're fully eight and a half by eleven books, or um, they're slightly oversized, legal, folded in half. So there isn't one exact size bag that's going to work for all of those different things. Um, I have a program from the Louisiana Panopticon with Colin Baker on the front. And, uh, you know, of course, there's also the, you know, the Chicago TARDIS uh, ones, which are standard size programs. I would suggest to go to to my favorite place for collection protection, which is bagsunlimited.com. They are not a sponsor, but my personal preference for protecting all things collectible. Uh, including your sports memorabilia, your newspapers, your films, your audio tapes, your LPs, comic books, magazines, anything that you can think of. The only thing that they don't cover are board games, because <laughs> I'm still looking for something for that. Anyway, bagsunlimited.com. You can reach them at 1-800-767-2247. And if you happen to call, just let them know you found out about it on the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. The money to be paid from your private purse. Ah! You spake. And now it's time for the most outrageous offer. Uh, and this outrageous offer was sent to us with the condition that we do not mention the person who sent it. Anyway, it was found on eBay. This uh, auction has long since closed, so you won't be able to find it. But anyway, it's a Doctor Who edition of Black Orchid, the WHL in hardback from 1986, a first edition. Um, says it's a first printing and a very nice example. Um, you know, it just doesn't have much. The pictures look pretty good. They had 4,000 books in this bookshop, um, but the price, this is, of course, uh, an English bookshop. The price that they wanted to charge 
in American dollars is $492.41. A little word of advice here. This book is not rare. I have found numerous copies of Black Orchid in, you know, non-library condition from $20 to $30. So please do not spend more than $30 on Black Orchid. It's a great story. It's also one of the best um, episodes for watching Peter Davison play cricket. You know, just just amazing. So that's the most outrageous offer. Uh, Next episode, I've got a special one for you. It involves an original Cyberman helmet. So stay tuned for that. Up there is the scanner. Those are the doors. That is a chair with a panda on it. Sheer poetry, dear boy. Now it's time for our featured collectible. And I I actually have three of these. Um, And they came out in 1993 as part of the 30th anniversary uh, from a company called Comet Miniatures, which uh, was in London. And it's the Patrick Troughton 1 8 scale vinyl model kit. Uh, and you know it has a it's a, it's a wonderful model kit of Patrick Troughton, um, model suitable for eight years with supervision, paint and glue required. So basically, you put it together and then you paint it. And um, I have two of them that are completed: one with the recorder in hand, the other one without, and one that's completely um, in its bare form. And they also did um, they did a Dalek. Uh, you know, the, they had a, a Dalek and a few others out there. Uh, and these were pretty um, pretty common to find for a while. That's why I found them. It said, basically, collector's item, not a toy. Not suitable for children under 14. So, unfortunately, the, the tag collector's item on a collectible is usually the kiss of death. But I think these are pretty neat. In fact, I, I took one of these... Uh, to a Chicago TARDIS, I took a picture with Mr. Fraser Hines, and um, he ha- he held the- he held it out and it said, "Wow, that was a great likeness." And he held it in the photo, and I'll share that photo on our website. Uh, but anyway, Comet Miniatures, the Patrick Troughton one eighth scale vinyl model kit, uh, anywhere from a hundred dollars on up, uh, depending on whether it's painted and completed or in its raw state, if the box is in good condition, and uh, if the if it's complete, if it has the recorder as well. So. That's the featured collectible. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And visit us at DoctorWhoCollectors.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, use the email Doctor Who Collectors Podcast at gmail.com, or you could message our page on Facebook or tweet at us at Doctor Who's Collectors Podcast. Um, this is uh, a wonderful thing to do. I really enjoy this podcast a lot. So please leave us a note, get in touch with us. We'd love to read your comments on the air. Um, But I wanted to close out with a couple of clips from WTTW Chicago TV going back as far as 1976, where they introduced the Claws of Axos during the John Pertwee era, which is during the time when I first started watching the series. So thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you in our next episode. Movie 11. Every Saturday night at 7, the subscribers of Channel 11 bring you a fine feature, presented with just one intermission. Tonight, Doctor Who in the Claws of Axos. We'll bring you a brief news summary at 7.50. Now here is the first part of 
Doctor Who. made version of the TARDIS was on stage and now popped the third Doctor, John Pertwee. Then came a figure from black and white film days, the second Doctor Who as played by Patrick Triton. Upstairs, the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker, signed autographs and was given a present by two little girls from Illinois. Tom Baker is the most well-known Doctor Who to American viewers. Is that a good colour for me? The current Doctor, Peter Davison, did a short song and dance routine in a nightclub at the convention. And one villain appeared just to entertain the crowds, the evil Davros, a survivor from 1965. The fans loved it all. This is Brian Barron reporting for Newsround from Chicago. And that's all tonight. See you tomorrow. Bye for now.